So I was dating somebody in college. It was the weekend and we were at her dorm room. The idea being that I was just going to spend the night. Mm-hmm. But I had forgotten my long acting insulin and I had, and I was just back in my dorm room, which was clear across the campus. So knowing <laughs> that I had to do it or else I would, you know, die in the middle of the night, I just picked up and left. Didn't really say anything. <laughs> just said, you know, bye. See ya. What? And just left. <laughs> you know, I think looking back now, I can see how I might've gone wrong. <laughs> Oh, hi. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Walt Drennan, and you're listening to Ask Me About My Type 1, the Q&A show all about type 1 diabetes. So I think I have to start out by saying that this week's episode turned out to be a really amazing conversation, but for reasons I was absolutely not expecting. Like I mentioned on my last episode, this week is about sex, love, and dating, which is a topic that comes up in the type 1 community a lot. But it always seems to be from our own type 1 perspective. Granted, I love type 1 advice and have learned a lot from fellow type 1s. I think limiting ourselves to just the type 1 perspective puts us at a disadvantage. Like I've said before, there are a lot more type nuns than there are type 1s in the world. And so I thought hearing it from their side would be a new take and give us type 1s some much needed insight. So I went looking for the type nun perspective. And I found it with professional love, sex, and relationship coach, Lauren Joyce. I brought back best good friend and diabuddy, Erica, to teach Lauren about type 1 and the specific obstacles that people like Erica and I go through as we navigate the dating and relationship world with our type 1. Here's my conversation with Erica and professional sex, love, and relationship coach, Lauren Joyce. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you both for joining me today. So glad I could have... Lauren here. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming. My pleasure. And Erica, thanks for coming back. Yeah, thank you for having me, Walt. I'm, I'm happy to be back here. So, Erica, why don't you remind people about where you are, what you're doing, and how long you've had your type 1. Sure. So, my name is Erica. I'm originally from Boston. I just moved to L.A. I was diagnosed with type 1 about four and a half years ago at the age of 26, so a little later in life. And I think my experience with type 1 is different from Walt's just because I was actually able to live like a quote-unquote normal life before being diagnosed so I think I offer a little bit of a different perspective on things so yeah I'm happy to be here and and be involved. Like I always try to say there's no one way to type one so we all have different stories and I think yeah Erica's perspective will be really helpful for those of us that were diagnosed a little later in life and also the female perspective on dating and relationships and doing all that with type one. All right, so Lauren, tell us all about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Lauren Joyce. I'm an international sex, love, and relationship coach and founder of The Magnetic Woman. So I work with mainly women, helping them really tap into their feminine, feel confident and sexy, and create amazing partnerships. I also work with couples and with men around similar things, confidence, communication, really building incredible relationships because I think that that is something that everybody wants, but a lot of people lack the tools to create the kind of relationship that they want. Yeah, definitely. So dating and sex and love and relationships are hard for everybody, not just people with type 1. But because we have type 1, we have specific needs and specific 
probably stressors or anxieties around those subjects of love and dating and sex. And I really wanted to get the professional perspective on those things and how someone with type 1 or any kind of chronic illness could go about navigating those things. So Lauren, let's get get a sense of what your knowledge of diabetes is, and then we can go from there. Yeah, so I don't really have much of a knowledge around diabetes other than it is related to insulin and regulating insulin in the body. Okay, yeah, it's very close. It's surprising that you know what insulin is because it's something that we talk about a lot, like Erica knows, obviously. And everybody has it. So everybody makes it. Everybody needs it. But the word insulin is not in everybody's vocabulary. So that's really cool that you know that. So Erica, since you were diagnosed a little bit more recently, what is your sense of it? And then I can kind of go from there too. You'll, you'll fill in the holes. If there are any. I'm sure you know all of it. So type 1 is an autoimmune disease. Your body is attacking the cells that produce insulin. So there's no way for our bodies to regulate our blood sugar or break down like the sugar in our blood that helps break down carbs, sugars, anything to help us use that and like turn it into energy. So yeah, we kind of have to act like our own pancreas and we have to give ourselves insulin to kind of regulate our blood sugar. Yeah, that's the very, you know, textbook medical side of it. But then like Erica and I know and a lot of our listeners know that there's so much more to that. So being There is. That was a very like Yeah. Textbook kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So being in charge of your own pancreas or being your pancreas essentially comes with a lot of baggage, figuratively and literally. So like I actually come with a bag of accessories. Like, you know, type ones come with accessories. And there's also like the psychological and emotional sides of this condition, this disease. And that, of course, will move in or bleed into relationships and dating. And that's why I wanted Lauren to come on specifically. And then also to give her a sense of what some people or maybe her clients in the future might have to deal with and give her a new perspective on dating and relationships and stuff like that with chronic illness like type 1. Lauren, so that we you can get a better sense of it, what are some questions that you have about type 1 and then as that relates to your field? I guess the biggest question is what do you perceive as the biggest or some of the biggest barriers with having type 1 in either dating or being in a relationship? Sure. So I think some of the biggest barriers is just like having the other person understanding like what type 1 is and what kind of your daily struggles just because with certain like blood sugars like if you have a high blood sugar or a really low blood sugar like it completely changes your mood and it really affects you and, and could affect the relationship so i think just having like a mutual understanding of of what you're going through will definitely better help the relationship and remove kind of some barriers i guess what do you think Walt? i think probably the biggest barrier for me personally is not wanting to be a burden on the other person. So I've had my type one for over 19 or almost 19 years now, and it can be a drag. Like I don't like dealing with it all the time. And so to me, thinking of somebody that would willingly sign up for that is difficult. And I think allows me to get in my way more often than it should. And I think that the idea or the concept of a person just willingly signing up for this is just so is really hard for me to to think about and having to deal with this for the rest of my life too because Eric and I are the same age and people our age don't have to deal with chronic illness. It's not something that they have to think about. There's a few things that they have to think about for the rest of their lives or at least they're kind of getting into that 
phase of the life, but I've been doing it for 19 years. Eric has been doing it for almost five. And uh, that's one of my hangups, at least. That makes sense. But and right. You never know what's going to happen with anyone. Right. So like you could be have two people with neither one of them having a chronic illness and then one of them like gets into a car accident and is in a wheelchair and, you know, they have to the couple has to navigate that as well. So I think that makes so much sense. And also kind of like zooming out to the global perspective that when you are dating or trying to find someone to be in a partnership with, being really clear on what the values are that you want, how you want to feel in that relationship, and knowing that anything could happen to anyone at any point, right? So someone who might be like, oh, that you know, I'm not interested in being with someone with a chronic illness, like who knows who they'll end up with and what may happen in that relationship as well, right? So I think that's something to also consider. That's very true because a lot of people, at least non-type ones, aren't really aware of the fact that type one can be diagnosed at any point. Like Erica, proof in the pudding there. Yeah. Like she was 26. It used to be called juvenile diabetes because mostly children were diagnosed with it around the adolescent age like I was. But that's definitely not the case. Right. These days, uh, about the same amount of people under 30 are being diagnosed as over 30. Oh, so wow. it's it can definitely happen at any point. I've had guests on that were diagnosed after they were married. Uh, mm-hmm. in their mid to late 20s mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's a different it's definitely a different perspective and like you said like you can definitely start out with somebody knowing you know that they're quote unquote healthy but then things change it could change yeah yeah i guess then that kind of brings up what would you what kind of characteristics or quality do you think is most important for potential partner or long term partner i think the biggest thing the, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, like especially in college when I started doing like taking care of my type one on my own, basically going to the endocrinologist, endocrinologist being the the specialist for type one diabetes. That was always the thing that made me feel the most abnormal. Whenever I would go, I would always go and I would always be the only person my age there by like a good 40, 50 years. Like everybody there was like a lot older than I was and I couldn't see myself in any of the people that I was there with at the same time. And also endocrinologists take care of other conditions too. So it's not just uh, diabetes. And then whenever I would see somebody my age, it would always be for something other than type 1. And those were the moments where I felt the most alone and the most uh, separated from like my peer group. And I think it's someone that will acknowledge that and also take the time to basically just go to the endocrinologist with me. That's like my one thing. I saw on TV like a sitcom, love is having somebody to go to the hospital with kind of thing. And that always like really stuck with me, especially for me having to go to the hospital, you know, relatively frequently, like every three to six months. So that's something that I think of a lot as a type one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that what's really important to remember is when you're asking for anything in a relationship, right? But especially something that's really, really important to you expressing to the other person why it's important because just expecting someone to attend doctor's appointments with you or go with you and not giving them like a reason why they might be like, well, haven't you been doing this like for so long by yourself? Why do you need me there? So I find that when you give your partner or someone that you're dating the reason why the thing is important to you, people are more moved to fulfill that desire for you than if you just kind of like put an ask out there without letting them know what it's going to do for you or how it's going to make you feel. That makes so much sense. Erica, what would you say you're looking for now? 
So for me, like, I really look for someone that is patient and understanding and, and thoughtful when it comes to my type one. Like, I just, I really want someone to know, like, how different things could affect my blood sugar. Like, I don't want to, like, go on a date with someone. They're like, oh, hey, like, let's go eat. Let's go grab pizza. Because as you know, like, pizza is very hard for us to control our blood sugar. So, like, I, I want someone to be like, oh, maybe instead of pizza, we'll go and get, I don't know, something not pizza. <laughs> a salad. Yeah. So that's what's important to me. And then, like, for example, I had a first date recently and my insulin pump died in my Uber on the way to the date. Like, it expired. And so, and I didn't have another one on me. And so then I get there and I'm like, hey, full disclosure, I noticed there was a CVS next door. I need to go and just pick up some syringes. I'm a type 1 diabetic and I go through the whole thing. And they were actually really cool about it. And we were about to eat sushi. And he's and he after I filled him in, he's like, let's just get like sashimi so we don't have to deal with the rice and stuff. And that was really cool that he was just so understanding and like knew that like I couldn't really like be dealing with eating rice and breaking down carb counts and all that stuff just because I didn't have my pump on me. So I think that's very important to me. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was a very interesting moment, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I have no doubt, too, that he reacted in the way that he did because of how comfortable you made the situation, right? And not that it's necessarily your responsibility to quote unquote make others comfortable, but you were just very comfortable, matter of fact, like, hey, this is what's happening. This is what I need to take care of. And I'm sure that was also really comforting for him, right? Where he was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah, like I wasn't making like a huge deal, but like I I try to remain cool because I was like, okay, this is of course this is happening like my first date, you know. But yeah, no, he was he was really cool about it. So and I think to add on what you said, it was just because like I wasn't making a huge deal about it, and so yeah, I think that definitely helped. Yeah, people really react to our energy and how comfortable we are with certain things, right? So if we're really scared or nervous to tell someone something, usually people pick up on that and then they're like, oh God, what is this thing that's like happening or what are they about to say? This is horrible. But just being really calm and, you know, if it wasn't a date and if you were just meeting a friend, I'm sure you would have done the exact same thing, right? So like that's another thing to realize that the people that you're going on dates with, they're just other humans. (laughs) Like they're just other people and viewing it as you would with a friend, right? Like if I was just meeting a girlfriend, I wouldn't be nervous or self-conscious or overthinking the fact that I have to run to CVS right now. I'd just be like, hey, I got to go take care of this thing, right? So Mm -hmm. just remembering that the people you're on dates with are humans, actual people. They're not like some (laughs) other kind of species or alien that we need to be like super concerned with. That's really funny too because that's a a unique situation to be put in. It's like having your date that you've probably never met before uh, needing to go to the pharmacy to get syringes. That's That's a cool move on his part. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And then he obviously wanted to like learn about it more and he was just very inquisitive about type one and stuff. And so like, that's something that I look for. Like, I don't want someone to just dismiss my type one because it's just such a huge part of obviously my life and something that I need to do day in and day out for, for as long as I'm here, you know? So that was very important to me. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's great. What an awesome first date experience in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so Erica, since again, you've, you were diagnosed four years ago, has your perspective on who you're looking for in a partner or in a date changed in the, in that time frame? So like before, were you looking for something else that you are or are not looking for now? 
I think it made me more clued in as to what I want in someone and it fine-tuned what what I'm looking for so like I I pay closer attention to how like people react to my type one and kind of like little things like that that I normally probably wouldn't have paid attention to before like oh are they actually like thoughtful about this situation (laughs) I think that any life-altering event has the opportunity to create more clarity in our lives right if we let it and especially when it comes to being in a relationship or creating a partnership with someone. So any type of life-altering event can really help you clarify who you are and then thusly who you want to be with, who's best going to complement that. And then I also find that like dating is also kind of trying on those ideas, qualities, values in other people. So you may think, not necessarily the thoughtfulness thing, I think that's probably going to stick and is a great thing to look for in someone, but there may be something specific that you're like, wow, this thing is like super important to me. And then you meet someone that has that quality or that value and you realize, oh, actually what's more important to me is, for example, like that they're that thoughtful or you know, aware or inquisitive. So I find that also when you view dating as research versus like do or die, black or white, is this date going to be this person? It's more of like, let me figure out if this matches, like what I think I want, what feels good for me and go from there. Yeah, I think I find myself in the situation of I'm interested in this person to the extent that I want to go on a date with them. And then I just need to make this work. Whereas what you're saying is like, oh, no, you're just trying to figure out if you like them enough to see them again and again and again. Yeah. If you're compatible. I mean, I think that a lot of people get into these lanes where they're it's so do or die, black or white. Like, is this person the person? And that puts so much pressure on the interaction, so much pressure on the other person, so much pressure on you as well versus what can I really take from this situation? What can I really learn? Do I even enjoy being around this person? Do like really listening to them when they talk, really asking questions to get clarity on like who they are, what their values are, what's important to them. And then seeing if that's really compatible, if that fits into your vision. And I think that's Something that a lot of people don't take adequate time to do, which is create a vision for what it is they want, the kind of partner that they want, the kind of partnership that they want. And a lot of people just are either reacting or moving from a space where it's just kind of unconscious, like, well, you know, I want a partner and like, I want them to like, I don't know, like things I like. And then it's just not clear and then you're going through the motions and that's how people end up on these like relationship conveyor belts right where they're just like well it's good enough and I think it kind of fits into what I want it doesn't not fit into what I want so it must be fine versus no I'm super clear on the kind of person I want to be with the kind of relationship that we want to have now let me go research who that person is yeah and I think With the added notion or the added baggage of type one, it can make those stakes seem a little higher because if you- Wait, well, what do you mean baggage? I don't like your verbiage there. (laughs) I'm glad you caught that, Erica, because, you know- Yeah, like what? I don't know. I I refer to it as baggage. No, I think that's- I would invite you to change that perspective. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. 
Okay, so tell me, Erica, what's wrong with that view of it? Or well, how do you like, see it? I feel like baggage just has such like a negative connotation. Like I don't view my type one as baggage by any means. I just, it's like part of who I am now. And, and I just make the most of it. Like I think I'm a better person with type one. And yeah, in no way for like to me is, is it baggage. I think yeah. baggage has a very negative connotation. And yeah. It might be an additional thing that you're putting into the equation when you're talking about longer-term partnerships with people or trying to see if this person that you've been on a few dates with is someone that you're compatible with. But I really believe that so much of how we live out our life, so much of who we attract in our life, so much of what we do in our lives comes from our perspective, right? So if we're viewing something as like, oh, this baggage, like who's going to want to deal with this? You're going to end up attracting in those people who see it as baggage and who don't want to deal with it versus how Erica said it, like, hey, this is just a thing. (laughs) This is part of who I am. This is what it means. This is what it requires. And if you date me or if you're in a relationship with me, then – that means that you're on board with this. I mean, obviously it is not the same thing at all, but if I go, when I was dating, I'm like, look, I'm a sex, love, and relationship coach. If you date me, this is what that means. Like, I'm going to be very public about my life. If you're not okay with that, this isn't going to work, right? Like, if you're not okay with having deep and very intense conversations about things, because I will challenge you on that. So I think when you view it as just a part of who you are and how you present that to someone and how you view it, I think, is going to, dictates a lot of who you end up attracting in. I definitely see that. And I think the way I think of the word baggage is not as negatively as you guys see it, but I think probably because I've been thinking about it for so long, it I've just turned it into something that isn't as negative as yeah. it might have been interpreted so yeah so yeah i do agree with erica how it is eventually it has to be considered as something part of you like the way that i have brown hair or brown eyes it's you know just something that people will have to live with if they want to live with me in the long run and yeah that's really eye-opening thank you thank you both thank you erica you're welcome (laughs) i've learned something at the very least i hope everybody listening is getting this too All right, let's go to our question. So Erica and I, basically, you know, I've never met a dating coach. I've never even really thought of consulting with one. So, but now given my, (laughs) my misunderstanding of my own type one, (laughs) I probably should consider that, but let's go with the, so Erica, do you have a question for Lauren given her expertise? I do actually have one question. Okay. Are there like therapists that work specifically with people who are recently diagnosed with type one? Yes, there are. When I was sorry to just like jump in. No. Yeah, no, you know, it's you're... fine. So when I was first diagnosed, I went to Jocelyn. I first went to like the Mass General Diabetes Center and, and they were awful. They didn't have like any sort of resources or anything. So then I went to Jocelyn and they were great because I did start seeing um a psychologist there just to kind of deal with being newly diagnosed and what that meant and just helping process everything. Yeah. Um, and that and that helped so much. Like she was amazing. So I saw her for a few months, and then like my schedule just got way too hectic with right. work, and I couldn't like make time. But I'm so glad that I had the time with her that I did. Yeah. Um, 
and I kind of left like every session just being like so much more like enlightened and like aware and I think that's very important for someone to go through and just like because at first I was like I don't need like I'm fine I'm, I, mean, I can deal with this on my own so like but like I'm glad I did take the time to go and, and meet with a psychiatrist or a psychologist because yeah. it definitely helped a lot and I'm really glad I did it yeah I mean I one I think everybody needs a therapist and or a coach all the time for everything anyways, right? Like just a day-to-day normal life, having an outside perspective and having someone that gives you tools and can like hold a bigger vision for you is so critical. But I think with any life-altering event, having professional guidance and professional support like a therapist or like a coach is critical. I mean, it's a lot – can't even imagine. It's a lot to process, right? It's an entirely different identity. It's Mm -hmm. an entirely different idea and vision for your life than what you had imagined like the day before you were diagnosed, I'm sure. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to, if you haven't, even no matter where you are from being diagnosed to like right now listening to this, if you haven't seen a therapist around it, I would because I would imagine not imagine. I know that that's going to help improve your self-perception on what this means, how it fits into your life and like who you are and who you can be with it. And so I asked, but I had a feeling, Erica, that you had seen someone because you seem like you're very empowered in it and very like, yeah, you've said that it's kind of allowed you to do and be more than you had thought before so it's a very you just seem very empowered in it so I just wanted to acknowledge you for that thank you so much I really appreciate that like when I was diagnosed I kind of had the mindset that I wasn't going to like let this disease run my life and so I've constantly tried to like challenge myself and I'm always trying to like just be better than I was yesterday so like yeah with type one I've accomplished so many more things than I would have without it so like I ran my first marathon last year and I'm running my second one in October and like I just constantly want to like push myself and like try to accomplish as much as I can to just show this disease that like hey I'm not gonna let you get in the way that's so amazing and that's what I mean I think that any life-altering event has the power to either completely empower you or completely disempower you like the entire reason why I do what I do is because my dad died when I was 25 and I had like no idea how to deal with death or loss or grief and no one around me knew what to do. Everyone around me who I was coming into contact with who had lost someone, but specifically a father, like they're 15, 20 years past it. And they're like, I still can't have a successful relationship. Like I'm still like so disempowered from it. And within that month after he died, I went to grief counseling and I sat in front of this woman. I was like, I only want this to make me a better person. I have no idea how that's possible at the moment, but I only want to live my best life moving forward. And I I know this will define me, but I want it to define me in a good way. And I think that anything that that makes you reevaluate your life, like I imagine a an autoimmune um, excuse me diagnosis would, has the ability to either completely empower you or completely disempower you. And so, again, just kind of circling back, I would say seeking out professional guidance and help just on your own self-perception, your own self-confidence and how this kind of fits in and how it can be a really empowering experience like it has been for Erica. 
especially I think nowadays mental health is getting it's you know time in the sun just Thank for goodness exactly for, but for type one specifically there is a lot of mental health concerns I'm specific sure. to us and it is really important to get that help and I think just going in for a tune-up every now and again too is yeah. probably what I should be doing now because admittedly my type one or my acceptance of my type one took a very long time probably yeah. but, and i think i'm not the only one that did that it totally. took me a good over 10 years maybe yeah. like closer to 15 really just to kind of accept it and realize that it's a part of me but not the only part of me kind yeah. of thing and sometimes you need that perspective or just mm-hmm. someone that isn't you telling you what's going on and yeah. giving you that insight definitely and i would say too like if you're ever seeking out a therapist and or a coach for anything Really finding someone who you align with and you really like their philosophy or their outlook because I imagine and just talking from like the coaching industry or coaching perspective, there's a lot of coaches out there who, you know, might might be able to get you to like a certain place or get you a certain thing, but maybe their outlook on life doesn't really align with yours. And I would imagine the same is true with therapists, right? Like, a lot of therapists can probably get someone to a point of like surviving, but do you just want to survive or do you want to really thrive with this, right? And so finding someone who is looking at it from that perspective versus like how do we just get you to like status quo and like how do we like really empower you to live how you want to live having this disease despite this disease because of this disease, right? Yeah, and it's just a part of management. So like we manage our type one every day managing your mental health is similar to that there's definitely it's not going to always be you know two steps forward it's going to there's going to be some backward steps finding the right person can take a while for people definitely but nowadays it's a lot easier to find that or at least go through the people to find the right person because we have online counseling Mm -hmm. and like webinar kind of things so we're in a good place i think yeah to find that so much access to resources exactly especially for those people like type there are a lot of type ones that live in very rural communities Mm -hmm. and they have to drive hours just to get to their endocrinologist and that's a lot of time out of their day just to deal with something that is really trying for them that they have to do anyways right so taking those extra steps can i think be really daunting and just like this is another thing that i have to deal with on top of my type one yeah um Beyond Type 1, organization that I've mentioned on the show before, has a really great article on how to find your Type 1 specific therapist or counselor. Oh, awesome. So I'm going to link that in the description so you guys can use it. Finding a therapist that specifically can help you with your Type 1 is really important. And just kind of get those feelings out there and talk about them so yeah. that they don't end up eating away at you yeah. over, over the course of you know a lifetime. Because like they type will. Because they will, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of time to do that with Type 1. Yep. Erica, did you have any questions for Lauren? I do, Walt. Um, Let me hear them. (laughs) So, Lauren, with having type 1, when do you think you should introduce the fact that you have this disease to someone that you're dating? Like, is it something that you think people should do, like, right off the bat? Or do you think they should, like, wait a few dates? Like, how how would you approach it? So I think it honestly probably comes back to your own self-acceptance of it and how comfortable you feel with it. Like going back to the first date you just told us about, Erica, right? Like you actually had no choice. You had to, <laughs> you had to kind of spill the beans right then and there. But, and like look at the beautiful interaction that happened, right? Where he then was like, oh, well, then let's alter what we order to make this easier. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think so often people are afraid to 
especially if it's like a first date or the first few dates to tell someone that they need something, something different or specific because there's this fear that somehow that's that is going to be the reason that they're rejected, not attracted to them, whatever. But again, that is all coming from your self-perception. So if you don't see your type one as something that is going to be the reason that you are somehow unlovable or not worthy of this person's affection and you're just like, hey, this is what I need, right? So changing the perspective of this is how I take care of myself, right? Like this is part of my self-care. This is <laughs> this is how I maintain my health and therefore this is what I need. You know, I don't think that it's ever too soon, but I would say if you're waiting to really look at why you're waiting, like are you waiting because you're afraid that somehow this is going to make you less attractive? And if that's the case, I would really encourage you to like push that edge, push that boundary and tell people much sooner because also that delay, that fear is going to delay this thing. And if someone that you are on a date with does not want to date you because you have type one, it will never work anyway. So hiding it for like weeks or months isn't doing either one of you any good, right? You're just wasting your time with someone who's never going to be a viable partner for you. So if that is seriously something that someone is like, you know what, that's actually not what I'm looking for. Good riddance. Get rid of them and go find someone who's it doesn't phase at all. Oh, definitely. I I asked because uh, when I was first diagnosed, I started dating and I waited a little bit to to tell someone. And I don't know why I did, honestly. Like maybe just because I was afraid of being accepted and how they would react, kind of to what you just said. And so we were like kissing, making out. Like he like I wear an insulin pump and I also wear another device called the CGM. And it's a continuous glucose monitor and kind of like tells you what your blood sugar is real time. So you don't always have to like prick your fingers. Mm-hmm. So we like he like feels it on my stomach and he's like, what is this? And I was like, oh, right. I'm a diabetic. Mm-hmm. Just, just oops, forgot to mention that on our first like five dates. Right. And, and he ended up being fine with it. But like, I feel like he wasn't as kind of like not open to it, but he wasn't like, oh, well, like, tell me more about it. He was just like, oh, whatever, you know, like, yeah, and never really like paid attention to it. And I think it was because maybe I did wait for so long. It didn't, and it no. didn't seem like it was such a big part of my life. I don't know. But I think that's probably um, just how he was. And yeah. it just took a little longer to figure that out because you waited. But again, it's all, it's all learning and it's all our journey, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially with dating and relationships, people love to view it through like right or wrong, black and white, right? Like, when's the right time? And if I don't do it in this right amount of time, that's somehow messing everything up. No, it's all just learning. The right person is the right person, right? It's not going to matter if you tell them the first day, the fifth date, the 10th date, right? And you're probably going to have to go through a lot of not right people to get to the right person. So you might as well like tell them from the beginning and see if they're up for it or not. Yeah. That question comes up a lot. It's like, when do I tell my partner about this? Or when do I tell, like, on a date? And I think people are looking for a very specific, like, 12 hours, like, you know, two, two and a half days after. <laughs> on the first this. date. Exactly. <laughs> and there really isn't one because the question doesn't take into account your acceptance of it. Definitely. It, and I think acceptance comes, comes with confidence, kind of like what we were saying at the very beginning. The way you present it is how people will take it. Definitely. And so if you're struggling to get it out or if you're kind of making this big deal, if you see this person, you've been seeing this person for two months and then you start telling them, it's going to paint a picture of 
what they think you think this is. Well, and I would say if if that is the situation that you're in, own up to it and say, hey, person, I know we've been dating for two months and I have to be honest with you, I have type 1 diabetes and I didn't tell you because I was worried how you would view me. I was worried that this would change your perception of me. Own up to why you didn't tell them. Be vulnerable. Because if you're just like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, by the way, right, then you're giving off this like, okay, you, you hid this thing for me. I have no idea why. Do you not feel comfortable telling me? Are you not comfortable, right? And then it's just kind of adding to the shame and guilt that probably is there, which is probably why you didn't tell the person, right? So if you are waiting, that's fine. It's not wrong. It definitely, I think, is highly correlated with how much of, you know, self-acceptance you have around it. But if you are waiting, just own up to it and tell them why. Tell them what what you were worried about. Because either what's going to happen is they're going to be like, yes, yeah, not what I want. And you're saving yourself and them from a much longer road of that. Or they're going to be like, wow, I'm so sorry that you were so worried to tell me like, I, how do you feel now? Is this okay? You know, and then you'll see that it can be a beautiful opportunity for intimacy and closeness. Confidence comes, can come from a lot of different places. My type one was never a place where I found a lot of confidence in, but I think in the dating world, you can definitely make it work in your favor, a date into your favor or interaction with someone new to your favor to give you the most confidence possible. And then that way they'll pick up on that. And then it'll also bleed into your type one. Then you, I feel like you can feel more confident with it the way you would with anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my question for you, so in terms of our devices, so mm-hmm. medical devices, a lot of us wear devices that we can't take off. Mm-hmm. Some of us, some of us do have ones that are pumps. I'm wearing mine right now. When you're in a like intimate situation and that comes up, or like there's an interruption, a type one interruption kind of thing, what? is a good way to bypass that or get to a place where you're okay with it and you can kind of move on from it. So I would say like, again, this comes back to your own self-acceptance, your own confidence, your own self-perception on it, right? So if you're like, how do I feel good about myself, about my body? How do I feel sexy? Or like, will this other person be attracted to me? Will they find me sexy? That all comes from your own self-perception. Because at the end of the day, like it Yes, it matters if that person is attracted to you, but they're going to be more attracted to you if you're in full acceptance of yourself, right? And in full confidence of yourself. So I would say that do the work to like find yourself super sexy, find yourself super attractive, no matter what, no matter what device you're wearing, no matter where the device is placed, right? Like If you are feeling shame about it, if you're feeling self-conscious about it, the other person is either going to pick up on it or even if they don't, it's not going to matter because you're still going to be super self-conscious about it, right? Like I say that we can really never experience love from a partner, more love from a partner than we have for ourselves because either their love mirrors, right? how our love for ourselves. So if we kind of think of it as like volume here, right? So let's imagine that you have like a liter bottle. And if that is all of the love that you have for yourself is like one liter, right? So either they're going to try and pour their love in 
and you're going to get to a leader. But even if they have more love for you, you can't like you can't actually hold it. You can't actually receive it because your capacity to feel that is not there. So if you are not super self-conscious about it or not finding it attractive, it doesn't matter if that person's like, no, I think you're so sexy and amazing and beautiful the way you are. You're not going to believe them. You're not fully going to be able to feel that. So again, it all comes back yeah, to you. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Well, like for me, like it's kind of hard feeling sexy when like you have these devices on you, you know, like, in a, yeah. um, I don't know if you see like Walt's pod, but him and I, we wear the same, right. we wear an Omnipod and it's the insulin pump with no tubing. Mm-hmm. And so like, I know with, with like tubing can get in the way, like in intimate situations. And like, how do you feel like sexy and lingerie when you have like tubing, like other devices and stuff on you? And and kind of what you said, I guess it does start like all within yourself. You, yeah, like these are a part of you, and you kind of have to accept that. And like, if you radiate sexiness, like the other person will definitely pick up on that. But at the same time, it's like kind of tough looking in the mirror and like yeah. seeing medical de- devices on you. You know, for sure. I'm not saying that like, oh, you're gonna listen to this podcast and like, poof, you're gonna be like, I yeah. am a sexy goddess right now, <laughs> like overnight. But I would say start putting the energy and the effort into it, right? Even if it's just a few times a week, like looking at yourself naked in the mirror and being like, I am sexy exactly how I am. Like I am beautiful exactly how I am or whatever really resonates with you. Like it's, again, this too is a journey. It's a process. And especially women, like we already have a lot of body um, image issues, right? Like type one or non-type one like there is just a massive amount of insecurity and body image issues that women carry and then yes I'm sure adding on the diagnosis of type one and the the hardware the pumps everything just adds to that so it's a process you just have to start doing it and and seeing that in yourself Walt, do you feel sexy with your pot on you know what? I've never really thought of it that way no it's just kind of there you know I don't know. What would, is it something that you get a lot from your male clients? Is it like feeling sexy? Is that a thing for guys to feel or is it, is it just different? I think it's different. And I think that women are more judged and more of our worth is placed on our body. Appearance. Yeah. Yeah. On our appearance and our body specifically. Um, and I think that that's what I mean. Like women already have so much baggage in this area um the negative kind yeah yes the very baggage. negative kind um, when i say baggage i definitely mean it negatively um women have a lot of baggage and a lot of issues in this area already i do think that men want to feel sexy they want to feel desired right by women they want to be like wow okay i know i'm attractive but i don't think that they have as many or they don't have the same insecurities around their bodies because their worth has not been placed on their bodies like it has with women. Yeah. I'm not saying that men don't have insecurities. They do. Men have also received a lot of really bad messaging and conditioning around their bodies, around relationships, around sex. But as a society, we have not placed a man's worth on his body. We have placed it on a woman's body. I would definitely agree. I feel like I remember like Eric and I talked about that specific question before, and I felt like there would be a kind of a stark difference between guys yeah. and girls and like just on social media and stuff like that there are actually like companies and like groups that are starting to make 
lingerie for type one specifically awesome. or people with chronic illness that mm-hmm. have devices yeah. that kind of like account for that kind of That's thing. That's incredible. And the the discussion is more centered around female like, yeah. uh, influencers and just people. I'm sure. That, but just because, like you said, it's a bigger concern. It's a bigger stressor. Um, there's a lot more anxiety there than I think for guys. But I don't know. If you're a guy listening, let us know. I guess my biggest statement would be that your worth is not defined by your body, right? And it's not defined by your disease either, right? Like your worth as a human, your ability to be loved as a person is not conditional on your body or on your disease at all. In kind of the realm of confidence, you kind of mentioned exercises that build that confidence up for women like standing in front of the mirror naked. Mm-hmm. Are there any other specific ones? Because I imagine confidence issues is not exclusive to type 1s. It's, right. it's, it's a human thing. Self-esteem, it comes from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. And so what are things that people that are constantly kind of con- self-conscious about their bodies or just kind of about a condition that they can't really help but have could do to get to that place where they're, they feel secure within themselves and with their type 1? Yeah, well, one big practice that doesn't take a lot of time or money is journaling, right? So like journaling out like why, like what is really coming up? What's the tape playing in your mind right now? Like what are the beliefs that you have around why you're not confident, right? So typically it's like, I'm not good enough or like I constantly say the wrong things. I constantly do this wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then looking at those like, is that true? Are there situations where that's not true, right? We can get into these mental and emotional loops where it's like this thing always happens to me. I always do this thing. It's like, no, you don't. You did it once or you do it sometimes often, but you're so hyper-focused on that as your identity or that as some sort of like defining thing about you that it's keeping you in this mental emotional loop that is not serving you, not benefiting you at all. So journaling is a great way to like really look at what's actually playing, like what is the tape that's playing for me mentally? Um, you know, I love that, honestly. Yeah. That's a great way to get like your thoughts down on paper. Yeah. And just kind of referencing it or like over the course of a few weeks and stuff and just kind of seeing like the way that your mind works. Mm-hmm. Your mind is the most powerful tool that you have, right? So like the majority, majority of our life is created by what is going on for us mentally so yeah for sure yeah the energy goes where your focus is so if you're constantly focused on how insecure you are why you're so insecure why you're not measuring up you're going to continually feel less than not worthy less desired blah 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 which then is going to give your mind this false justification that those thoughts are real. So then you just keep thinking those things and you keep feeling those things and you end up in this loop, right? So after you kind of go through and, and see, okay, what are the patterns or what's playing in my mind? Think about what is it that you want to be thinking, right? So often we're like, well, why am I not feeling more confident? Well, because you're not thinking that you are confident. You're too worried about why you're not confident, right? It's like mm-hmm. two different sides of the same coin. Just flip the freaking coin over and think about what it is you want to be thinking. So that's a great way. Obviously, having a coach or a therapist that can help you get out of your mind 
Um, and another thing to kind of break those like mental emotional cycles is movement, literally getting out of your mind and like doing something that physically puts you into your body where you can be much more present, much more in the moment and much more in tune with who you are on more of like a being level versus like what you do or don't do day to day. Very good tips. Yeah. Thanks. Kind of like biking across the country. Yeah. Did a, did a lot of thinking on that. I'm bike. sure. So now that we've learned all that we have, I want to bring back a game that we played a few episodes ago, but this time I'm calling it, What Would Coach Lauren Do? Erica and I have some personal dating and relationship situations involving our type one that we struggled with at the time. And I want to get a sense of what Lauren would have suggested or advised mm -hmm. had I been smarter and sought out some coaching advice. <laughs> um, Erica, let's start with yours. So yesterday I was so I'm just moving from Boston to LA. I'm, I'm meeting new people and coming with that territory means just explaining what type one is. So I went on a hike with some new friends that I made yesterday and hiking or doing like really kind of any form of exercise with type one can get really tricky depending on what kind of exercise you're doing and what your blood sugar is at and and I was, um, we did an eight mile hike. So towards the end of the hike, my blood sugar started getting a little low. And I had asked one of my friends like, oh, hey, do you like have a snack on you or anything? And then I, for the rest of like the duration of the hike, I had to explain to them like what type one was. And it got kind of annoying just because I just wanted to like enjoy this hike. And I didn't want to like talk about diabetes. And like, I didn't want to go into this huge lengthy discussion about it. So like, how would... I guess you deal with those like situations in the future. Like, would it be rude of me to just be like, Hey, I don't want to talk about this right now. Like, cause I'm trying to like, obviously make a good impression. I'm trying to make a new friend. I guess, how would you handle that situation? Yeah. So first I would say like telling these people, like that exact situation, right? My suggestion would be, or would have been to say like, guys, I am so happy and grateful that you're so interested in this. And I want to answer all of your questions and I'm so excited to be on this hike. I was really looking forward to just like letting go and being in nature. So I would love to enjoy the rest of the hike. And then when we're done and driving back or like later this week, I can answer any of the questions that you have because it means so much to me that you are this interested and curious about it. And like this is what I want or this is what I need right now. That's really good advice. Yeah, I should have definitely done that. Instead of I was like exhausting myself with like exerting myself and then like having just like to talk about type one for like an hour. And I was just like, this is, I really want, like I'm hiking through Malibu. Like this is an amazing view. Like so amazing. Yeah. Here I am giving a lecture about everything type one. You're you like, know? should I have brought my PowerPoint? No, but I think, exactly. <laughs> I think that you can, I think it can be hard in, in the situation, right? Because you're new to the city, you're new to these people, you you want to make a good impression, you are appreciative that they're so curious and interested. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh God, how do I, like, I don't want to kind of like, you know, bite the hand that's feeding me right now. Like, I'm over here, like, I want everybody to be <laughs> curious and like interested in this. And now they are. And I just kind of want them to shut the F up right now. Like, <laughs> what know. the heck is wrong with me? And so I would say like with anything and anyone, if there's a a boundary or like an ask that you have, just be really appreciative for what they're doing because they're obviously not being malicious and not trying to take away from your hike. Yeah. And then just telling them what you need or what you want. And and then also, especially for something like that, giving them like an alternative time to ask you questions or like say, hey, you can ask me questions like anytime 
you know, this is not the only chance you'll have to ask me this. And like, I just love that you're so curious. Yeah, definitely type one office hours are good. <laughs> yeah, no, right. But, but Erica, I think, touches on a point that a lot of type ones go through. It's just like the type one explanation fatigue. I'm sure. Like I've been doing it for 19 years almost and it gets tiresome, especially when people just refuse to get it. Like they should hand out FAQs. Exactly. Yeah. Or they just keep on asking the same questions because, and again, type one is not exactly. So type one isn't an easy thing to get. I understand that. But also if you're asking, try to remember what the answers that you're getting kind of thing. So, but yeah, definitely. I feel Eric on that. Yeah. Like type Type one isn't your par- isn't your grandparents' diabetes, and that's right. and constantly like having to explain that or have them like really grasp that concept can be exhausting. I'm sure. You I'm know? sure. That was a good one, Erica. Thanks for bringing that up. So I have a scenario. Pretty sure I know the answer by now because it, it's not a good one. That I don't come out looking really great on it, <laughs> but I'm gonna say it anyways. So I was dating somebody in college. It was about a month in or so, and then. It was the weekend and we were at her dorm room. And then the idea being that I was just going to spend the night. Mm-hmm. But I had forgotten my long acting insulin that back when I wasn't on the pump. And I had, and I was just back in my dorm room, which was clear across the campus. And so I just kind of, so knowing <laughs> that I had to do it or else I would, you know, die in the middle of the night, I just picked up and left. Didn't really say anything. <laughs> just said, you know, bye, see ya. What? And just left. <laughs> you know, I think looking back now, I can see how I might have gone wrong, but I want to get Lauren's perspective on that. Oh my god! <laughs> well, it seems like this is the original ghosting. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I started, I started that. <laughs> the yeah. OG ghost. No, I think that. I mean, I'm sure I kind of sound like a broken record to a degree, but I have no doubt that your actions uh, were well in line with your own self-acceptance and, and self-comfort, right? Because again, someone that you're looking to be with longer term, like they have to be okay with this. They have to be in a space where they're comfortable with this, where they're used to it. So again, there's no right or wrong time to say something, but saying, Hey, this is what's going on for me. Like I gotta go, I gotta go grab this thing. Like I really want to come back. Is that is that cool? Is that okay? I think that most people will probably surprise you in their reaction or probably lack of reaction in the sense that they'll be yeah. like, okay, cool. Yeah, come back when you're done. Um, but again, I think that what, whatever you've done in your past with type 1 diabetes or not when it comes to dating or relationships, like self-forgiveness is a very powerful tool, right? Mm-hmm. You can sit there and beat up on yourself about how you – didn't really show up fully in a relationship or how you like constantly did this one thing that like led to the demise of the relationship or whatever it is, but you just got to let it go. You have to get the lesson from it and then let it go because if you don't let it go, if you don't forgive yourself for your past mistakes, like you're just going to keep holding on to them and then you're going to add to extra negative baggage. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The negative kind. The yeah. negative kind. Yeah, and then just to say, like, I hadn't told her about my type one yeah. at that point, and it could have been a, a probably a, a funny story. It's like she could have driven me. She could have driven me to. It. She had a car at the time. She could have driven me to my dorm, and we could have got it. Could have been a fun like outing. We could have gone to McDonald's afterwards or something. Right. Or something a little bit more type one friendly. But yeah. So and again, it, it was my confidence level at the time. Yeah. I didn't want to scare her away, but but so my the better choice for me was to. Just say bye and not explain anything at all. Right. 
which is heartbroken Walt no it was just I could I remember her face very vividly and she was like she's just probably so confused just like wait what it was one of those things and I mean it didn't we didn't break up after that it wasn't because of that it was just like a very weird awkward moment where I didn't explain something that I was doing that I needed to do and she probably would have completely been fine with had I just said something and I could have walked back but I didn't I felt like the awkwardness would have been leaving and then coming back and then just yeah i was just too in my head about it you know what the irony of that is she probably thought she did something wrong and was in her own head about how she messed up or you were unattracted to her or something like that yeah i was just thinking yeah yeah i mean let's face it guys everybody that you're interacting with is self-involved so like they're gonna think that like they did something that they're to blame that whatever because it takes a massive amount of self-consciousness and a massive amount of like consciousness in general to realize that most people's actions have actually nothing to do with you and there's just what's exactly. going on for them in their world. Exactly. That's something that I'm realizing more and more like every day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a very freeing reality, right? To be like, wow, this person's like really bad behavior has nothing to do with me. Yeah, exactly. So true. Yeah. So final thoughts. Erica, do you have anything to tell the people about dating and relationships, what what you learned today? This conversation has been very enlightening. Just kind of like owning your type one and like just being confident within yourself. And that's something that I try to practice every day. But like, of course, I am like, we're only human. Like I have those yeah. like doubts come like in my mind and like, even like with starting like a new job, like I I was trying to like hide my type one at first, but then I was like, this is a part of who I am. Like, I'm not going to hide this part of me. Like, and it's, this is a huge part of who I am, you know? So I think just kind of like owning it and, and owning yourself will definitely, I think you'll see more, more positive things come of it than obviously negative. And it's definitely is all about your mindset. Lauren, what do you have to say to the type one world? <sighs> that your worth and your ability to be loved is not defined by your disease or by people's reactions Mm -hmm. to it. And that the more you come into knowing who you are, knowing your worth, your value, how lovable you are, how amazing you are, how I'm sure in a lot of ways, like type one makes you an even better person or an even better partner. And like really looking at how it's an advantage, how it's a benefit, how it's like a value add to your life or a value add to a partnership um, is really going to help you attract in someone who believes that as well. Um, And yeah, I guess that would be be it. I always have like so much to say, but we'll stop there. (laughs) Yeah, type one definitely comes with added um, a skill set like that helps can help obviously helps us but also can help other people like we know a lot about nutrition or more than the average person um so we can help with that and exercise and stuff like that just staying healthy for us is a little bit harder than for most people but we can help others do the same definitely and that's just something that we do naturally all right thank you so much guys for helping me out with this yeah my pleasure thank you lauren thank you erica yeah thank you all And, and great speaking with you lauren you as well erica good luck in la Thank you so much. Let me know if you're ever out this way. Oh, I will. I'm sure I will be at some point this year. I love the West Coast. And that's the episode. What'd you think? I'll admit it. I learned way more from Lauren and Erica than I thought I would. They really called me out. Yes, this episode was about sex and dating and relationships. 
But what Lauren really taught me was how closely tied all these things are to my own relationship with my type one and how my very strained relationship with it was really influencing my approach to dating and social relationships in general. Lauren also made me realize just how similar the type one and type none dating and relationship experience is. We all struggle with self-doubt or a lack of confidence or wanting to downplay the parts of ourselves that we think will be rejected so that people will like us. So ultimately, it comes down to accepting ourselves for who we are, as we are, whether we're type one or type none. That's just part of being human. Well, that's just what I think. What are your thoughts? You can send them my way by visiting askabouttype1.com and going to the contact page or visiting me on Instagram at askabouttype1 and sending me a DM or mentioning it in the comments. And if you liked Lauren's advice as much as Erica and I did, I highly suggest checking her out. I've included the link to her website in the description, and I've also tagged her on my Instagram post this week, so you can find her there too. Tune in next week when I start winding down season one of Ask Me About My Type 1 with the season finale episode. It'll be coming out in two parts, and I'll be inviting guests from episodes past back to give us all an update on where they are in life and what their type 1. Next week in part one, I'll be speaking with Olivia from episode two and Dave from episode seven. Olivia fills me in on the tough decision she had to make recently when she realized how her job as a nurse in the ER was negatively affecting her type 1. And Dave tells me what he learned after managing his type 1 for two years without insurance. All right, everybody. I'm going to head out. I'm off to compose a long overdue apology letter to my college girlfriend. Lauren and Erica convinced me. While 13 plus years is pushing it, I think, it's never too late to say you're sorry. Especially when it's because you forgot to pack your Lantus. Bye.